Hey folks, it's Jeff Wenzel from the Woodshed Agency, and you are listening to my podcast called Successfully Funded. Here we go. Let's turn it up. All right, crowdfunders, how is everybody doing out there? You guys making some money, huh? You guys getting those dreams to come true, huh? You out there uh, sending emails, getting friends and friends and family to uh, to believe in your idea? Well, I hope everybody's doing really, really well. We've got a brand new week kicking off here, and t- on today's episode, um, we went a different route. We're going to be talking about a different form of crowdfunding. Um, so I have an interview with Joe Waltman, and his company um, is Vet Pronto. Um, and you can go to vetpronto.com to check it out. But um, Joe is running an actually an equity crowdfunding campaign on the platform um, WeFunder. And I wanted to have a conversation with him just to see what it's like to, um, to, to venture into this, um, this sort of brand new territory. Um, for some of you out there that don't know, equity crowdfunding just became a law May 16th of this year. Um, and it's part of the JOBS Act. Um, that Obama signed almost seven years ago or now. So, and um, we've been waiting basically uh, for six and a half years or so for the for um, the, the the laws that were passed to actually come to fruition, and it's here. So there aren't that many campaigns out there. So I, I really jumped at this opportunity to, to sit with Joe and 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 um, yeah, and just talk about not only his project but. You know what he's going through. You know what what was his strategy, um, and what what the plan kind of has been behind the scenes. So so that conversation is coming up sooner. And the other reason um, I, I thought this would be a great time to kind of maybe give some of my listeners here a bit of my background um, that you might not know, which is why I thought it was intriguing um, when talking to Joe uh, about this sort of um, this in home vet um, business that he's um, creating. So. Um, so I used to live on a, on a big farm um, that my girlfriend at the time, her parents basically kind of gave me. And at first, already people are like, what are you talking about? Who gives a, who gets a farmhouse? And I mean, the story was back then, it, I was about 19 or so, and kind of the story was that they were just going to tear, um, tear down the house. It wasn't in, was in amazing shape, but it had, uh, what was it? maybe five bedrooms. I mean, just a big, huge old farmhouse. Um, and on the farmhouse though, or excuse me, on the farm, we had uh, a horse, Irma. We had some sheep. We had about 110, maybe even possibly 120 cats. And one of my jobs, um, to be able to kind of hang out there and build my first studio was to, um, was to take care of a lot of the animals. So, um, I would feed a lot of these cats and got to know them. And I am not a cat person. I believe I have, I, you'll hear that in this, you know, it's not my, not my favorite animal in the world. Uh, it doesn't help that I'm allergic to it. And if I touch them and then touch my face, my eyes basically are, you know, watering and closing shut. But, um, but we had a whole bunch of animals and, um, we had a, a local vet that would come out and, um, you know, would do veterinarian stuff to the goats and the sheep and the uh, and the horse. And the other cool thing um, about this was uh, I also had a runway and a golf cart, like an old '70s golf cart, like a three wheeler that we painted black. And um, and and so in this farmhouse, this this was this was kind of the first um, big studio that um, that I put together. So 
I wired up all the rooms together and um, I actually took my school money, uh, my college money that my parents saved for me and uh, spent it all on gear. Now, that was a gigantic fight. I'm not going to lie. I don't know if I would do that again, and I'm not exactly sure what my reaction would be if my kids did that to me. So i got to give credit to Gordon and Cookie for not wringing my neck that bad. So, But at that time, so I um, so I built a pretty kick-ass studio. I still remember the day of going down and getting a um, uh, an old, uh, well, I got a G4, whatever it was, I think, like a dual dual processor. You know, I think it was... 3500 bucks 30 i mean this is you know probably 2000 2000 maybe you know and i got i got a pro tools 001 for not for you non-musicians or tech people out there this was just total cutting edge at the time that i could have 16 tracks of digital into, into a computer mac plugins i mean this was just oh so I had that, and then I went out and bought, you know, I had a grand, we had a baby grand piano, Fender Rhodes, uh, Hammond organs, um, uh, guitars. I mean, it was a kick-butt studio, and I ended up doing a healthy amount of bands out of the Toledo area, so I definitely knew the uh, Toledo um, seven-string rock world. A lot of screaming at me. Just, um, But it was an awesome, awesome time, and it's really where... Um, Actually, you know what? The music that you're hearing on this podcast came out of that farmhouse. Um, a lot of the tracks were wrote there um, and and recorded. And don't sound that good because I found out that that Pro Tools system that I talked about that took me forever to get, it sounded like shit. Yeah, it sounded awful. Speaking of sounding, how does this sound? Does it sound a little better? You know, this week... Um, I pulled out a bunch of gear that uh, was over at Sean Neal's house and um, decided to actually maybe be a little more serious about the podcast, you know, maybe care about how it sounds a little bit more. I mean, we've done 30 episodes, um, but I wanted to stop and, and I thought there was this was the time, you know what, we're committing to this. We're getting really good um, numbers um, and we had the gear, it was just sitting over at Sean's house, so hooked it all up, so... I think I'm coming through pretty good here, don't I? Yeah, nice and deep. I almost sound like I've got like a maybe like a DJ voice, but okay. So back to the story. Um, so uh, yeah, so really, I had a ton of really cool stuff, you know, and was recording a bunch of bands. Definitely, I would call most my 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 sound definitely not polished. I was definitely putting together, or I was de- you know really starting my ten thousand hours. I, I truly believe in that um, um, that philosophy. And I was definitely early. I was probably in my 2,000 to 3,000 hour range, right, of, of mixing. So definitely didn't have all the skill sets, um, but was working on it. And, you know, really writing, creating stuff, creating a ton of content, frankly. And, um, you know, I'm blessed now to have all that content to pull for the podcast and, and whatnot and, and to be able to use it. But, um, but, but I just, you know, this time, I, I just, I reflect back on it sometimes because it was so... Whenever I tell these stories, people people are like they're just blown away that most people don't have the good fortune to be given a house um, that didn't really pay rent. Um, I just did some chores around there. Um, you know, I was I, because of that I didn't have to work at a job a ton. Uh, I was basically a server most of the time, um, and I got to really hone in a craft for God. I was probably there almost six seven years, um, just just developing and working and striving and just getting better and better and better. So that's why 
I, I really stand back and I think about how fortunate I, I, I am that I had that opportunity, um, you know, to really learn a skill set. And, you know, it's kind of something we were talking about in the last podcast, that interview with, I did with Brennan of once you know one thing, you actually know 10,000 things. And, you know, a skill set like, you know, mixing or recording, it's just something that just comes natural to me. Yeah, you know, I just, I just love jumping into it and doing it. But, um, but yeah, you know, so kind of pulling this all back together, you know, so talking to Joe from Vet Pronto, um, just to kind of have this, this, this um, background of, you know, we had so many cats and, and they would come out to, you know, to do neutering or spaying right at the, right at the farm or, um, you know, the horse needed some procedure and they would, you know, so I understood this world about vets coming and that was part of this, you know, so when, when, when Joe was talking, you know, vet pronto, what was intriguing about them is that they're creating, um, sort of two businesses, you know, they're, they're, they've got a, a software behind the scenes or an app and then they've got on demand, um, uh, like an on-demand service. So, um, intriguing, intriguing how they went about equity crowdfunding. It was also intriguing that they didn't really know much about it, which I think is kind of the landscape for almost everybody. Um, and this, the next few episodes, um, I've got another episode coming up at the end of the month here with Nathan Rose, and he's an equity crowdfunding expert too from uh, the UK. And we really break down how behind the times the US is. So that's going to be coming up down the road too. But so let's go back to a couple of things I need everybody to do for me, right? So if you're enjoying the podcast, what do you got to do? I can't hear you. That's where the crowd's supposed to chant back, but I guess there's no crowd right now. But what I, if you're enjoying the podcast, um, you know, make sure you subscribe, maybe leave a review, send it to a couple friends if they're thinking about doing crowdfunding or if they, you think that they would get some value out of this. And uh, we, we, you know, we're still trying to get up in that new and noteworthy section. And the only way to do that Got to get listeners, got to get listeners. So that would be awesome. If you're running a crowdfunding campaign and, and you stumbled upon this, a um, couple things you can do. You can, number one, go to the website, um, go sc- scroll down to the bottom and, you know, sign, set up for a meeting. You can call me, ask me anything. You know, you can also tweet, ask fuzzy. Um, and I will get that and I will answer your questions. If that's not an option, you can go to our, our joint, you can join our community on Slack. Um, and that is, a, we've got a great group of people in there that we're just, we talk about crowdfunding. So, um, it, you know, that's might be something too that you, if you're interested in, all you got to do is sign up. It's free. And um, uh, the whole Woodshed team is in there and we are t- chatting and talking about crowdfunding all the time. So, um, but yeah, so that's that's some things you can do to help out the podcast if you're enjoying, uh, enjoying the content. Um, but for now, I'm going to go ahead and kick it to my conversation with Joe. Uh, from Vet Pronto, and we're going to talk about equity crowdfunding. So here we go. It's good. Is this Joe? This is Joe. How are you, man? Very well. Yourself? Uh, I'm doing all right. You know, uh, we are. I'm in Detroit, and we've had like two days of like the worst rain on the planet. 
and it is like dark, gloomy, and it's just one of those like uh, moments. So, mm, yeah, yeah. You, you're in San Diego, aren't you? Actually, we're in San Francisco. San Francisco, okay. So uh, probably weather might be a little bit better there today than. Uh, it does. It does kind of feel like the season's changing a little bit, though. It's getting a little bit chillier, and uh, but anyhow. Yeah, it's here. So, um, so I wanted to reach out because I haven't had. Um, somebody who's done equity crowdfunding actually on my campaign. And I wanted to talk a little bit about your project and then how you got into equity crowdfunding for this idea. Cool. Yeah. More than happy to. So I always like to start this with kind of giving my listeners a little bit of like your elevator pitch or, or what your project is. Yeah. So hopefully it's super simple. It's uh, it's house call veterinarians. So we send veterinarians to people's homes. <clears throat> uh, we're, we're obviously biased, but we think it's uh, it's a lot more convenient for the pet owner and a lot less stressful for the pet and ultimately uh, allows us to practice higher quality care than you would otherwise get. That is a awesome, uh, precise elevator pitch there because it is very simple when you look at it. And I'm sure it's one of those things that it's like, well, that's a no brainer. Why doesn't that exist? I'm sure that's how it came. <laughs> you know, why, why does this not exist? So where, where in terms of like the idea and, and how your background or how you got involved with this, uh, with this project? Yeah, good question. I'm I'm pretty much a carpet bagger. I, I am not a a you know veterinarian or or animal health uh, expert. Uh, I, I'm a software guy, as is my one of my other co-founders. Uh, we actually started a um, an email marketing company together quite a few years ago that we uh, were fortunate enough to sell to Twitter. Um, after that was done, we uh, started thinking about what do we want to do next. We found uh, our current co-founder, Catherine. She is a veterinarian. She's amazing. Um, and, uh, and we've been rumbling along ever since. Uh, so that, that's and, and how it got started, I mean, it, it, yeah, it, it isn't exactly uh, or, or it, it's a pretty obvious idea once, once, you, um, w- once you tell it. But we had, we had a couple false starts uh, earlier on. Our, our original kind of flawed thesis was uh, let's look at all the smart people and smart money that are going after human health innovation and apply that to animal health. Hmm. Uh, so we first tried a video chat service, which doesn't work very well at all because dogs aren't very good at telling you what's wrong with them. <laughs> you need to be physically present with them. Yeah. We then yeah. we then pivoted, and that was kind of like the doctor on demand for veterinarians. Mm-hmm. We then pivoted to an asynchronous Q&A, which is kind of like the health tap for veterinarians. That didn't work very well either for other reasons that are probably, you know, not outside of the scope of this conversation. Uh, but in the process of building those, <clears throat> excuse me, we talked to about a hundred pet owners and asked them typical customer development questions like what, what sucks about being a pet owner. And the overwhelming response was going to the veterinarian. Hmm. Uh, that, that's where the idea really presented itself. Yeah, I, I bet. So, I mean, as somebody who has, I, I like, like when I watched you guys' video, I've had the problem you've had working the nine to five job, can't get the dog there. I'm not taking, am I going to take a day off of work? I mean, I want to get the dog healthy or the shots or whatever, but you know, vacation time's short a little bit, you know, here and there. So, <laughs> you totally. know, so how did you end up, I guess, as a company, I guess you coming from like software where, you know, for you personally, did you decide that you really want to get into like this sort of helping, you know, um, this sort of service that you're in now? Well, like most pet owners, um, I, I, I am a pet owner and I consider myself a pet lover. Um, we, we've had, like, and, and like most pet owners, I'm saying, cause a lot of people have had bad experiences with the vet, but we had a pretty bad experience hmm. with, with the vet where, uh, our, our dog had kennel cough. 
Um, and for reasons you already mentioned, we took kind of a wait and see approach. You know, we were too busy. It was a pain in the ass to schedule an appointment and get, get the dog there. So kennel cough turned into pneumonia and, you know, let, let's, let's, let's be super pragmatic and ignore the, the, the suffering that that put our dog through. Right. But that turned what would have been a two or $300 vet visit into like a $5,000 vet visit, sure. mainly because it was so inconvenient to get to the veterinarian. Um, so, and, and we, we're actually seeing this in our clients' behavior. Norm, the industry average for vet visits is 2.4 vet visits per pet per year in the U.S. Our clients are averaging closer to four vet visits per year, and we think that is primarily because of the convenience. If, if, it's, if it's only a matter of pressing a button to see the veterinarian, most pet owners want to do the right thing, and they want to have their pet taken care of. Uh, but if it's a matter of calling up the clinic and maybe not even getting a person on the phone and then having to wait a couple of days to see the vet and then having to drag your poor animal to the clinic, you'll oftentimes take a wait and see approach. Yeah, I, 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 I can totally see where you're coming from on that. So, um, so I guess in terms of a company, how do you go about, you know, kind of scaling this idea up, you know, to have this many veterinarians? What, what are you guys' mindset around this? Yeah, yeah, that's that's one of the big challenges. Um, so it's it's uh, although the idea is fairly simple, you know, mm -hmm. house call vets, implementing that on the back end is not simple. Yeah. Uh, what we're what we're basically doing is building a distributed hospital, mm -hmm. um, and there's there's a lot of industrial logic why hospitals are the way they are. You've got idle staff standing by if something crazy happens. You've got all these medications and supplies and equipment standing around in case you need to do something unexpected. Um, so what we have to do is anticipate what is likely going to happen in an appointment from either a web form or from a phone call right. and then get all the right information, all the right supplies, all the right people to the right place at the right time. Um, so it's, it's, it's almost like, you know, like another way of saying it, it's kind of like a logistics company <clears throat> and, and we've, we've worked hard. We're not, we're not there yet. We're far from perfect, but we think, or we'd like to think that we've got a pretty slick system on the back end that allows very high quality medicine to be administered through house calls. So that's, that's interesting that you're, you're walking almost a logistics company business formula as well as a software formula, right? Because you, you've got to have some, the app you just, you said a second ago mm -hmm. or so, so how do you kind of walk that fine line, um, you know, in, in your company right now between which, you know, which one you're focusing on today or tomorrow, you know what I mean? Or, or, or can you do both at the same time? Yeah, and, and it changes daily or weekly. Hopefully not daily, but but <laughs> weekly or monthly. Um, yeah, so we're earlier on, earlier on, we were doing almost everything manually, and it, it was kind of like the the man behind the curtain uh, yeah. model, where it would look hopefully very automated, and the clients wouldn't know what was really going on behind the scenes. But almost everything was manual, from like approving prescriptions to delivering medications to getting records from other clinics. Slowly but surely, we've picked off the manual tasks that that can be automated. And now the majority of our work is automated or actually at least software assisted. Sure. Um, and, and I think that's, that's one of the promises of software is you can, you can apply it to these um, old school um, traditional industries and hopefully make them function much more efficiently. What has been, has there been any feedback from veterinarians in terms of like, this is bad for our industry or anything like that? Or what, what's the general consensus around, around the idea? Yeah, we've never, we haven't had that. We, we've definitely had some negative feedback from veterinarians, but not that negative kind of negative feedback. That usually it's from other house call vets that are operating in a very traditional manner who feel kind of threatened uh, by us for for probably good reason. Um, the uh, the the and to the contrary, the feedback we've gotten from our veterinarians. So now let, let me first say this: house calls are not for everybody. Right. There are 
the majority of doctors far prefer, and for reasons that I totally understand, far prefer working in clinics uh, where where they can you know see see a whole bunch more patients. They can probably make more money on a on an hourly basis um, and and practice what they kind of felt medicine was supposed to be probably when they when they started veterinary school. Um, the best that we work with really appreciate the extra time they get both with the client and the patient. Mm -hmm. They really like to form bonds with the clients and the patients. In normal clinics, vets will see three to four appointments per hour, which means you're getting 10, maybe 15 minutes of, of client and patient time. Our appointments are 60 to 90 minutes. Um, so you're getting a lot more time with, with the client and the patient. And you can, you know, candidly, you can go through a lot more issues and get a lot more background, understand the environmental things. And, and, and that's, that's for certain vets, that's, that's a, um, that's really important. And, and they feel allows them to practice much better medicine. It, it, you know, what, what's in my head a little bit is uh, overhead. Let's just say you're a veterinarian trying to start out and trying to start a clinic. It seems like overhead would be such a, you know, a, a big hurdle that maybe your you know, your system or your platform would allow me to maybe go out and get those clients or establish myself or, you know, get, you know, work in the area before maybe investing in the, the building, the structure, all the stuff you got to have on top of that, the, the staff, right, um, to, to, to go out and do this. Are you seeing people think of it that way at all? Yeah, that's a really, really timely question. We're just starting to experiment with. So to, up till now, we've been primarily company-owned uh, operations. And when we when we go into you know expand within the Bay Area or expand to other cities, we're experimenting with with that idea of just being like a software and a service layer on top of an existing veterinarian or even an existing house call practice. And that's um, we're getting a lot of interest in that. And yeah, it it, it is. It's it's it basically lets somebody who may eventually want to own their own clinic get kind of start crawling or walking before they run. Sure, yeah. You, you, you know, um, so, uh, you know, probably 15 years ago in my life now is I actually had a big farm, and we had, um, <laughs> you know, I come from the country, right? And uh, we had horse and sheep and bigger animals, and, and it's we had, you know, all that stuff was house vet, or, you know, they came to the, came to the farm to, to, you know, to whatever, look at the horse or the sheep or whatever. So, like, are, are those lessons involved around them or is that like a research that you looked at is, you know, the veterinarians that go to these house calls already, but just don't do it as a main practice to kind of, you know, weed out any sort of, this is what it's usually like. This is what I try to go to expect. Cause I got to imagine that the larger animals that, you know, they've been doing this forever, right. You know, for veterinarians. Well, and other and animals too, they've been doing it for a long time. It's, it, they're, they're not very well, uh, they don't do a good job of marketing themselves, but yeah. there are mom and pop house call vets in every city in the mm. U.S. Um, they're, they're, they're a, uh, now they, they, they account for probably less than 1% right, of all yeah. of the vet appointments or vet house or vet, yeah, let's say vet appointments. Um, and I would argue that probably 95% of pet owners don't even know that house calls are an option. I never even and, thought about it. I mean, I only yeah, thought about it if yeah, I have yeah. a horse. I'm not moving my horse exactly. today. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. And, and that's, that speaks to kind of the fragmented and, and let's, let's call it nicely, or let's use the nice term, traditional yeah. manner in which they've been conducting their business. Um, we think there is an opportunity to, to go at it in a more you know, deliberate, uh, uh, you know, scalable manner. Sure. Sure. So let's flip a little bit over to how did you get into equity crowdfunding for this idea? Because, <laughs> you know, not a lot of people are doing it. It's obviously, you know, still pretty early as a as a business plan. Right. Um, you know, laws were just finally passed officially that we could do this. So how did you jump into this boat? Yeah, well, my, I think my answer should be 
that I love the democratic nature of equity crowdfunding. <laughs> sure, Screw yeah. the VCs. Right, right. And, you know, we, we want to share the success with our clients. The actual truth is that we've actually had a hard time raising money. Uh, this is uh, on demand is a little bit out of favor right now hmm. uh, due to some of the uh, some of the recent um, uh, closures of very large, yep. well-known on-demand companies. Um, the pet space is also a little bit weird. Um, although it's a, you know, veterinary is a, is a 17 to $20 billion space. The total pet space is a $60 billion space. Um, I, I'm, I feel funny saying this, but, but I can kind of feel it when we're talking to investors that, uh, this just feels kind of small and niche hmm. uh, when, when we try to sell them on it. You know, maybe it could be that we're crap and, and they, they, don't have no, they don't want to invest in us, which is very likely. Uh, but uh, but the, the, the sense I get is part of it that just pets a little bit weird. Although that's changing. There are, there are now a couple of, of properly VC-funded companies that are attacking the pet space. Um, we're not one of them. So, so in a long answer to your question, we, we really had to bite and kick and scratch for all of the funding that we've raised to date. And um, I'm somewhat proud to say we've used about every crowdfunding platform out there. Okay. AngelList, Funders Club, uh, OneVest. Um, and, and this is just the logical conclusion to that. We're going we're gonna to hopefully <laughs> tap into every single crowdfunding one out there. This, this happens to be the first well, the first non-accredited equity crowdfunding due, due to the, due to the, the regulatory change right. earlier yep. this year. Uh, you know, previously they, they all had to be, you know, they were the typical angelist syndicate kind of a thing, whereas mm-hmm. an accredited investor. So when you, when you were, you know, you know, I guess kind of sitting back, what, was there any reservations kind of going into this model at all uh, amongst you and your, uh, your business partners and stuff? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, and this 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 feels this sounds kind of like high school, but um, I've I have I had heard from other entrepreneurs that it when you do go the equity crowdfunding route, it kind of puts you into a certain category vis-a-vis the investors for future conversations. Right. Yeah. And you might you might not be taken as as seriously. I don't know how much credence or weight to place on that. Uh, it's it's I, I don't think we should be you know, driving strategic decisions based on popularity contests and, and silly things like that. Um, we, we, you know, we could use the capital. It's available. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's take it. The decision, you know, that, that's ultimately what it boiled down to. It, it, it's, you know, it's funny that that same sort of stigma is going into equity crowdfunding that I, I hear that all the time when I do like for my crowdfunding clients and, and such where, well, somewhere down the road, we're not going to look as good because we did a Kickstarter. And I'm like, I don't understand why it doesn't prove that you had you know, you validated your idea that 500 mm-hmm. people are supporting you. Like, or like right now you have 138 people are like, this is a solid idea. I get it. You know, like, can yeah, you spin yeah. that story yeah, quickly? Yeah. You know, yeah. But we're all, we're all, high, we're all high school students at the end of the day. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, it's hard to get out of that uh, mentality. Yeah. We also might be just four year olds all running around. I'm, I don't even know if we're at, <laughs> some, of, some of us might not even got to high school yet. Cause, uh, I, I have a four-year-old, and I can yeah, I can tell you we are pretty much all four-year-olds. <laughs> yeah, I got a five and a three-year-old, and I tell you what, I see a lot of resemblance in some people around me. I'm like, you act just like my son, and he's five. <laughs> you're thirty, whatever. So, so, um, so I guess all right. So you you know, so the reservations were really not that much because again, I, I like what you you said there too, where that the capital's out there. You know, let's go get it. Let's let's prove the idea. Where mm-hmm. do you see? Um, I guess. Um, you know, this equity crowdfunding, like, do you have an end goal for this? Is it, you know, it, I see a raise, you know, you're trying to raise between 50 K and 1 million, correct? 
and yeah, pretty big goalposts. Pretty, yeah, pretty big goalposts. So you and, and you've hit, you know, you're, you're making your field goal that looks like right now. You're at eighty-two thousand. But but where do you see equity crowdfunding kind of playing out for the investors who are believing this idea, and then where you guys see it kind of going, you know, a year from now or so? Well, yeah, there's the obvious benefit of, of raising the money, and that's great, and that will be very, very appreciated and hopefully put to good use. Uh, but then we, we're going to have X hundred fans and supporters and advocates behind us once once they've uh, once once it closes. And we've already seen a little bit of this with our angel list syndicate, uh, where you know when we launch in a new city, we want we want them to get the word out, uh, and 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 maybe if we if we were considering some some ancillary services that won't be constrained to one city um, and, and those sorts of, you know, almost like supporters, if you will, or, mm -hmm. or not literally supporters, um, would probably could come in very handy uh, down the road as we, you know, we are a, a, a consumer facing uh, service. So the more consumers, con more people we have on our site who can share our story with their friends, their family, their colleagues, that can only help. Yeah. What, what did you need to prepare as a company before you went down the, you know, this, this route? What, what did you have to, you know, what bullets did you have to put in your gun before you uh, you got ready to launch? So for we we funder is actually pretty slick. They did a lot of it for us. Mm -hmm. um, they they uh, we I think we had an interview with them. We answered a few more questions. Uh, we had to go through a um, not a financial audit but a financial review. I think mm -hmm. uh, I, I'm not yep. fully aware of the the nuances the differences between uh, that th those words, but they they are a big deal to accountants. Yep. Um, and, uh, and that was pretty much it. Okay. Uh, we, we kind of already, you know, this isn't our first rodeo yeah. with, uh, with this, uh, these crowdfunding. So we were probably a little bit farther ahead than, than some of the other companies are dealing with. And, uh, frankly, we, we've got almost 4,000, uh, happy or hopefully happy paying clients. Right. And that was very interesting to them. Uh, I think this is one of the first times they've, they've worked with a company that is this big of a, of a client base. Oh, um, yeah. so we, and we, we've been, uh, you know, I, I don't, uh, or I, I, it, it, we've been promoting the the round to our clients, and I think some of them have, have invested. So, so in terms of, a, I guess, a, was there a, a marketing strategy or, you know, did you have to go down the Facebook ad route or, or, or is it literally you just had a strong network and you reached out to them? Uh, well, they've, WeFunder has their own, I think it's 70 or 80,000 users mm -hmm. who they market the offering to. We also promoted it to our clients, and and they they gave us a like a guideline of okay when it launches send this kind of a message three days later send that kind of a message right. two weeks later send that kinds of a kind of a message and they they did a really good job of holding our hands through that and we think we've been a lot more successful or, or some of our successes due to their their experience as you would expect um, so yeah there is sort sort of a um, of a of a strategy if you will we've also done some remarketing or retargeting on right. Facebook and Google to hitting people who have uh, who have already been to our site. Um, thinking they're going to be, you know, either prospective clients or current clients as well. That's cool. So, so out of those investors, are do you see most of them coming from WeFunder, the community of WeFunder, or do you see them coming mostly from, you know, your world, your network I, stuff? I, I haven't analyzed the 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 data yet, but I think most of them have come from WeFunder. 
Now, that's what, when we got started, WeFunder told us that most of them would come from us, and maybe it's just a matter of time before our clients come and, and they'll be investing down the road. But but it feels to me like most of them come from WeFunder. But it's impossible to tell because we've, yeah. we've like, for example, we've asked our clients to either invest or share on Facebook and Twitter. And presumably some have done a little bit of both. And, you know, if someone comes in from Facebook, was that shared by one of our clients or was that shared by, you know, somebody else? Who, who knows? It's, it's, it is kind of hard to track these things. Yeah. Um, now, now, did you have a, a say in kind of the perks, um, like your investor perks? Or, again, was that something that WeFunder kind of held your hand through and said, you know, we suggest this? Oh no no we we completely defined that they uh, they they gave us some some suggestions mm-hmm. but uh, but we we that, that, that those were completely our doing and are you seeing those as helping the campaign or you know is it something or investors just like listen I just want to know when I get my money back <laughs> you know is it yeah, you know. yeah if I feel like they are and you can kind of tell by the by the amount mm-hmm. we've got. Um, not not super strange amounts, but like for example, I think for twenty five hundred, you get a free house call and free vaccines. And we've had a number of twenty five hundred dollar investments. I think for five thousand, you get uh, a free house call and um, basically, yeah, a free house call and and uh, free everything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, actually, I should probably know this better off the top and of my head. But flea and tick. And then, I got it in front of me because like okay, yeah, and flea and tick. That's right. And then for ten thousand, it's it's basically free healthcare for a year. And we've had a couple of investments at those levels. And I suspect. That's partly due to the, um, the, the the perks. That's cool. Do you, what are like what's the temperature like for investors? Are they active in terms of emailing you? Are they you know you know or are they a little looser? You know what I mean? So like again, I come from a lot of the rewards world, right? Like hey, I just want to know when I'm going to get my reward. Three months, six months. You know what's the landscape like for a backer? What do they feel like? I don't really know yet. We're still in the middle of our campaign. We only yeah. launched about a month ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't. I have not been emailed by any of our uh, WeFunder backers yet. We have done. Or we did our our angel list almost a year ago. I mean, it might have been more than a year ago. Um, and we've heard quite a bit from them. And it, this generally, you know, help with uh, with issues we're having in the business or or connecting us to other people who might be interesting for partnerships and and stuff like that. So they they definitely do feel like they're, they've got skin in the game and and they're. I, I do appreciate their support. Um, that being said, we don't, because we didn't raise a, a big institutional round, we don't have a proper lead investor who's mm-hmm. like on our board and who you know will will probably you know per, be personally embarrassed if we fail. Right. Uh, and and you know that that's I, I totally understand the value of that, and I'm and I kind of wish we had that sometimes uh, to have have this you know uh, respected, respectable investor person who's who's effectively on your team. Um, that that that's the downside, obviously, of these of these crowdfunding uh, campaigns. That it's the responsibility gets spread so thin right. that you know you probably you're 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 missing a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. So you've gotten a ton of good press. I mean, I was looking at some of the press and the quotes uh, a couple days ago and, and kind of looking at them again today. Was there a strategy for press at all? Or was, or was this just kind of happening word of mouth just because, again, the idea, I, I, you know, we're all in agreement. The idea is like, oh, yeah, this makes sense, you know. So so how did press kind of play into into this whole strategy? Mm, that's, that's nice of you to say because we feel like we've been terrible at press. <laughs> we, we won't, really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we, uh, that, that's one of the things that, that I feel like we certainly could have done a better job with. Um, and and it's, it's like a it's like a mystery to me. I have no idea how you, you know, get a journalist excited about your story. We've tried over and over again and they've, you know, if they even respond, which they rarely do, it's, it's usually to say, sorry, this isn't my wheelhouse. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, we're, we're, we're trying to figure that out. We're actually talking to some kind of PR ish sorts of companies to see if we can, if we can 
fine tune our story up all that being said we're getting ready to go to some some uh, some other cities and i've heard from other startups we're in y combinator so mm-hmm. we, we get we get get to hear from another bunch of other startups um that they that when you launch something like this in san francisco it's not that big of a deal because there's all sorts of other douchebags like right. like me running around here <laughs> launching on demand right, services right. but when you launch something like this, and, and no offense to Nashville, but in a place like Nashville, yeah. it actually is kind of a big deal. Sure. Um, that and and this this other company, uh, they kind of accidentally launched in Nashville after launching in San Francisco, and they they're like, the CEO has been on every TV station in Nashville, and they've been you know front page on every big newspaper, and and there there is something to be said there that that there there's potentially a lot more press to be had in in uh, in, in places outside of Silicon Valley. Yeah, I can totally see that. Uh, considering that I do PR for clients, uh, I don't know if I would start. <laughs> you know, where you are, right? <laughs> because of well, maybe the, we can talk offline about that. Yeah, right? well, yeah, that'll be another conversation. But, um, but you know, so is that, you know, it's interesting when you bring up that other city. So this is something that I guess at some point you're envisioning that you would roll these out city by city or, you know, like other on-demand services. Like, hey, we're going to be in Detroit 2018. That's when our goal is. And then do you envision like maybe there is a round of investment per city or is it just, hey, let's just roll these out when we feel, you know, hey, let's go here, let's go here. We're playing around with that right now. Uh, we've got a couple different models where we go to new cities of varying degrees of, of capital intensiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, we and and we're you know for obvious reason we're we're kind of excited about the the cheaper ways of doing it, um, and and we could potentially get get set up with this this new scheme we're just we're actually playing with right now. Um, we can potentially get set up in a whole bunch of cities very quickly. Hmm. Um, it would it the downside is we we would um, be generating less margin down the road. But there could be something to be said for for doing a bit of a land grab right now. Hmm. Interesting, interesting. I, I, you know, without too much detail, how do you, you know, manage your brand on that sort of strategy, right? So again, rolling out kind of slowly, you can kind of build, maybe get the right veterinarians or screen them or whatever it might be, right? Um, you know, when you go at that sort of pace or that sort of scale, how do you envision just protecting, you know, the you, you know, protecting everything and making sure you're getting the right vets and you know. Yeah, that, that, that and that is the big challenge. Um, we 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 like to think that we've gotten pretty good at recruiting and or at screening and recruiting vets, um, the, and that's actually an important point. That that um, if if you're smart enough to have gotten into and graduated from vet school, you're already pretty damn qualified. Right. Um, a lot of the things that we look for when we recruit have kind of nothing to do with their their technical capabilities. Um, it, it has a lot to do with just. You know, do they want to spend thirty to forty-five minutes with a client in the client's living room? Is this somebody who can who can do that on a regular basis? And and you know, believe it or not, a lot of vets do not want to do that, uh, and and we, we can tell pretty quickly. And and we've actually had we we kind of deliberately get let our vets trial us out for for a few days or a few weeks, um, mm-hmm. especially for vets that haven't had house calls before, because it's it's weird. I mean, I personally don't like being in someone else's house. Uh, on these house calls, I've been on a bunch of them, but it just it just feels weird to me. I, I don't like being in someone else's space. Hmm. Um, but the, the vets we have, they, they do, and, and they're they're great at it. Uh, but anyhow, back to the point that a lot of times vets that haven't had house calls before, um, once they do a few of them, they're like, ugh, this is weird. I want to go back to the clinic, and, and we of course let them. Right. Well, it's yeah, that's a fascinating. Uh, it's just fascinating to hear the um, you know the you know frankly trial and errors of like and the, these sort of nuances that you're describing that. I don't know if I would think about in terms of a company, right? Like, you know, it's like, yeah, it should just be simple. Go to the house, check out the dog. Dog looks good. Put the shot in or whatever. But then you have all these extra things, you know, these other feelings and emotions. 
you know, something that popped in my mind here, and this is because my wife works in the insurance business and she has trained me to literally think of insurance all the time. What does insurance look like in a business like yours? Yeah. So we, um, all of our vets carry their own insurance. Hmm. Uh, it's, it's basically malpractice. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's, it's very, it's, it's somewhat sad how, how animals are viewed in our current, you know, I guess the whole world pretty much, but so animals are property. Yeah. They're not, they're not, uh, they're not beings. And, and if you, you know, quote unquote damage property, you're responsible for replacing it. Hmm. Um, so, so a, a vet's malpractice coverage is like a few hundred dollars a year for a few million dollars of coverage. Whereas a human doctors, I don't know the exact numbers, but I understand they're like thousands or tens of thousands of dollars a year. So that, that's, um, Anyhow, that's a little, a little bit of a tangent, but it's a very interesting anecdote about, about yeah. the, the insurance. So, so all of our vets have to carry their own insurance up to a certain amount. We also carry our own coverage for the company You know, if, if one of the vets gets, gets injured. Actually, it's pretty common. We've already had a couple of, of, um, of our nurses get injured on appointments, and primarily it's like being bitten by a crazy cat. Mm. Uh, and by the way, cat bites are nasty. There's some, yeah. there's some, there's some germs in those mouths, and it, it, can, it can really put you out of commission for a long time. Um, so, so we, we, and part of that, again, this is a way, way verbose answer, but we, we've got some pretty specific protocols and procedures in place where when the animal is looking like it's going to go sideways, you just get away you walk out. We, we do not want any of our people putting themselves in, in harm's way, uh, for, uh, for, for this. Wow. Yeah. It's, um, I'm not a cat guy. You just proved my point again. We don't cats. I'm just not a cat guy, you know? <laughs> so where do you see? No comment. No yeah, comment. yeah, no comment. No comment. Uh, so where do you see your company in? Let's just say a year, year and a half from now. Hopefully, we're in fifteen to twenty markets. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, we're cash flow even. Uh, we're breaking even. Uh, I'd, uh, I, there, there are some other things we want to do that that are health related, but aren't necessarily doing house calls. Uh, hopefully, a couple of those things have have launched. Um, there are, uh, you know, it's a two-sided marketplace. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're trying to make it as great of an experience as possible for both a pet owner and the veterinarian. Um, and, and that they, if we can do that, it's kind of a virtuous circle. They, they help each other. Uh, but, uh, but a lot of it is, is on the, on the veterinarian side that, that almost nobody ever sees except for our veterinarians. Right, right, right. So I, I think I got one more question that just kind of popped in my head here on, on the actual raise. Does it, you know, in terms of we, do you have a stop point or is this something that you would just this sort of just kind of leave this faucet on or is there a day that you're just like, nope, this is, we hit it, we hit our million dollars or you know, how, how does that work for you guys? If we hit a million, we'll probably stop it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd be very surprised if we do looking at the way it's going. I mean, I'm quite happy with how it's going, but it doesn't seem to be kind of on the trajectory to hit to hit a million. Mm-hmm. Um, I think WeFunder set a date of like February next year mm-hmm. to stop it. Uh, I, I don't know if that's if that's set in stone or if that can be that can be adjusted. Um, yeah, this is probably something I should ask them. I, I'm, I'm not even <laughs> sure what uh, what what that what that uh, what the specifics are around that. Yeah, it's uh, that that's one thing too that I'm you know I, I always love the um, you know some, when it stops you know like the Kickstarter. Hey, it's got 30 days that momentum going on. So one of the things that I've always been fascinated on and we we funder as I'm watching is is just this sort of you know what you're in right now probably what you're in right now like well where does it go how long how long should we do this for you know um uh can i come back and put a can i raise my thing can i give you five thousand dollars right now and move up to 7500 or, or whatever it might be so intriguing a lot of a lot of really cool stuff here i'm 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 really glad we had this conversation because uh i think this is going to be a good thing for a lot of startups and i'm sure you know you know let, actually let me let me ask that question considering that you've been in other startups is how do you see equity crowdfunding kind of playing out now that it's fresh, it's new, it's off the ground. 
I, I think it's. Are you still there? Yeah. Yep. Yep. So. Yeah, okay. I think it's. I think it's fascinating. Um, that that I've. Um, I would love to be able to, you know, invest in my local gas station or my local bakery or the the new pizza place that opened around the corner from here, which is great, by the way. Pizza Hacker. I live in Bernal Heights. It's amazing. Uh, I've actually tried to get that guy to to list his pizza place on on WeFunder. So I, I think it would be a really interesting way of almost, you know, consumers engaging with the businesses that they that they frequent and love letting them not only not only be just a client but also a partial owner yeah so i I think there's some really really fascinating things you can do yeah that's funding that's exactly where my head is right now just i i think it just opens up a ton of opportunities and i think even in this uh i think it's intriguing that like you were saying earlier you know you're probably not a, a the hockey stick vc firm right where you know you're not the unicorn right that everybody mm-hmm. wants yet it still looks like a solid idea good bit you know mm-hmm. it makes sense and let's see it execute and it might be a 10 15 million dollar company it doesn't have to be 600 million or a billion you know something like that and that's where i see like a company like yourself for me i think it's just exciting that you know you guys have a chance to go out and let people you know get behind you i think it's great yeah thanks i'm in cool all right well I appreciate so much your time. Um, this was a great conversation, and, uh, and I appreciate everything, uh, uh, you know, you, you giving me that info and, and, and talking to my, uh, my listeners about it. And, um, you know, we're going to be watching from, uh, from Detroit here, uh, watching your campaign. Well, hopefully we'll be there soon and we can, uh, we can help your, your pets. And, and sometimes, you know, even you, our vets are pretty knowledgeable medical people. So they can, usually they can, they can, I'm kidding. We can't, we can't help you. We can't help you. <laughs> yeah, oh, no. no, you cannot help me. But maybe, no. maybe my five-year-old, I don't know. You know, you, I, you know, my daughter was licking something off the floor the other day. I was... I'll tell you what we've, we've, so we've taken our two kids to the pediatrician so many times and all they've ever used is a syringe, a yeah. scale yeah. and an otoscope. Yeah. All of those things our vets have in their bag. So it drives me crazy that my Pediatrician won't come to me yeah. uh, for, well, for that stuff. Well, I'll tell you, mine right now, just quick rant on that pediatrician world is four months to get an appointment. Like, I, it's a, you know. Oh, my God. What? <laughs> like, yeah. I scheduled it in July. I, I actually go Monday. It's October 3rd. Uh, it's like, yeah. you know, whatever. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. So maybe, maybe that's something. Uh, maybe there's a pediatrician pronto. Uh, you there, know. there are a couple. There are a number of human house call services out there that are that are that are doing. Uh, they're doing all right, and pedi- pediatrics are a really you know fascinating use yeah. case for that. You, you know, it is interesting. Where and there might not be an answer for this. Now that it just popped in my head here. When did that change as a culture? That remember doctors didn't doctors do house calls? That's why you have the doctor bags and like. Oh yeah, yeah. When did that change in life? Like, I, I don't know this for a fact, but in, in the veterinary world, or I don't know this for a fact in the human world, but in the veterinary world, uh, that, that was the same way. Vets would only do, I mean, it was primarily farms. This is way, yeah. way, way back right, in the right. day. It was a lot of farms. You'd go out and, and treat farm animals. But, there were, there, but there, were, there were also cities and companion animals at that time, and vets would mostly do house calls. Um, quite a while ago, like decades ago, a number, a couple of big companies started being formed, which involved, uh, you know, building hospitals and rolling up those hospitals into, into chains of hospitals. And there's, you know, from an industrial perspective, it's a lot more efficient or, or it's, it, it is potentially more efficient mm-hmm. to do this in a hospital where you can, you know, conveyor belt your patients through. Um, so, so there are these two big companies right now, Banfield and VCA who do this and, and they're, I'm, I'm not criticizing them. They, they, they practice great medicine and they're great mm-hmm. hospitals and they're great businesses. Um, but I think part of it is like the industrialization of healthcare. 
uh, that it's just it's it's easier to scale it up when it's in a central location. Well, you, you know, then what's intriguing here, then just to that point, is how much I'm seeing that unraveling in a lot of my conversations with the the small local guy making the protein bar who wants it all natural and the products to come, you know, so that there's this I don't even call it story, but just this feeling around the you know, and I I see this is what you're saying right now is maybe you can unravel the clinic a little bit and get somebody in my house who ultimately will really care who will be there for the next 10 years of my dog's life. Right. Like, you know, that, that, that there'll be a little bit more relationship at the end of the day than, you know, a bill. You're, you're, you're preaching to the converted. Yeah. Hopefully technology will allow us to do that. I think it's what's happening. It's funny how it's funny. This new world we're in where technology is like driving us a little bit to be all, you know, everybody's in their device, but yet we're, we're, we're just clamoring for like, yeah, but I want that real relationship when I go out, you know, or with the person that's servicing me or, you know, servicing the whatever I need, you know, the the, the veterinarian or, or whatever it is, you know. It's weird. It's Hallelujah. We tiptoed around our pain. You couldn't look at my face. I saw you standing there. Come between